Bodies by the Numbers is a horror podcast. Viewer discretion is advised. Hi, Ander here. In this episode, there are some background noises that I could not quite edit out, and I just got over a little bout of COVID, so the Exorcist episode is going to be a little late. If I can't make it out on the 1st, expect it on the 5th. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Welcome to Bodies by the Numbers, a horror podcast where we keep track of how we die in horror media. I'm your host, Andrew Mack, and this is my co-host, Grace Lee. Today, we're covering Black Christmas, filmed in 1974, directed by Bob Clark and written by Roy Moore. Nice. Wait, did you say 1974? Yes. Like 74? Yes. Jesus. Yes. That's so long ago. And, you know... I guess we can just plummet right into the feelings check. How did you like Black Christmas? I mean, I liked it. It was definitely like a good film. I it was it was slow paced, but I liked it. I mean, it's just the ending for me was a little frustrated, but that's just because I like answers. Yeah, this so. is not a movie that's gonna give you answers at the yeah. end. So if you're someone much like Grace here who wants everything tied up in a neat little bow, I do. This is not the movie for you. However, I love this movie. Black Christmas is like... I I remember the first time I watched it pretty clearly because I watched it for my first time within the last two years. Mm -hmm. I like it when the ending of a movie makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's what this one did. I think another movie that did that to me is a movie called The Lodge. And that's a much more recently created film. And that one is much more dark with, like, cult stuff and all that fun Shazam. But that's not the movie we're covering today. No, no. Also, yeah, like, for how bare bones this movie is, and how, like, small of an area, too. Most, if not in the entirety of the movie, is either at the police precinct, or, again, most of it, though, is at the sorority. It has such a small world that they explore and to build that much like fear and like tension in such a small area is kind of impressive like the the sorority feels isolated when it's when it's in like a neighborhood it's there's people around you can tell there are people around but it just feels so isolated so with that being said let's dive into this plot summary all right well it starts off with like i think you can so you're in the point of view of the killer and you're just like you're breathing heavy. You're, you're Darth Vader, you know, walking on the screen. You're breathing heavily outside what, um, what is outside this little, it's kind of like little, like, yeah, little sorority, you know, it's like, you know, it's brick and all that stuff. And, and you can see in there, you can see people laughing and talking and stuff like that. And it kind of flicks into like inside the party where you, you know, you kind of get meet your cast of characters. You got Jess, you got Barb, you got Phil, you know, you got Claire. And they all seem to be having a good time. They all seem to be hanging out, talking, you know. And then Barb, God, I think this is one of my favorite moments in the movie, but Barb gets like a, like a call 
a long distance call from her mother. Yeah, where she first tries to pick it up like in the kind of living room, but that's too noisy. So she goes and she picks it up on the other line in the house because there are several phones in this house. So she goes to the other room, picks up the, the, the phone there, and she appears to be talking to her mom. Her mom appears to be like uh, trying to invite her to like a ski resort or something like that. All I remember from that scene is the line where uh, Barb calls her mother, you gold-plated whore. Best line, best line in the movie, I swear. I don't know. Fellatio. Oh, Bar- Barb is fantastic. I love Barb already. But as she's like, you know, getting in an argument with her mother, we switch back again to the killer where we see the killer is kind of like, you know, stalking around the house and he sees... I'm not sure where it's... It's like you put, like, these wooden... It's, like, for Ivy to climb up. Yes. And, um, his... Okay, most that I've actually seen in real life are fragile as shit. Like, you can't climb them. They break. But he just fucking hops onto it and climbs right up and into the attic where you kind of see him slip in, like, through, like, kind of like an open window. And he just slips into this really full, like, attic. It's got, like, a... Like, a rocking horse, a few, like old decorations like a couple like empty like birdhouses it's very much the storage room everything that these girls don't use goes here yeah yeah everything that gets brought to this place it goes right up there and then we kind of click back down to the um party where everyone's talking have a good time after you know barb enters you know talking about her whore of a mother (laughs) it's good shit right it's good shit gold planted heart god i'm never forgetting that and, you know, they're kind of just, like, all talking and chatting about what they're going to do for Christmas. You know, you know it's, like, it's a Christmas party. And, and while Barbara's getting roaringly drunk, there's a phone. Someone's calling on the phone. And I can't remember who comes to pick... Is it Claire who comes to pick up the phone? It's our main character. Jess? Yes, Jess. Okay, so Jess comes to pick up the phone. And all we hear on the line is, like, this moaning calls to the girl she's like oh it's that creepy it's that creepy it's the moaner they called him oh they called him the moaner because apparently it was just this guy who would call them and just moan on the other line and so like all the girls gather like i don't know why like i would have just hung up if this guy is like a regular occurrence i would have just hung up the phone but instead all the girls at the sorority kind of like gather around the phone for her to like kind of like put it on speakerphone right or just angle the phone outward to the audience and we do hear the moaning at first and then he starts speaking and he just gets weird he starts saying and i quote verbatim you pig cunt you little piggy cunt he's like using very harsh derogatory language he even says like I think suck my fat cock. Yeah. yeah, And do you want to know how the voice actor for Billy achieved his character? How? So apparently when filming for Billy's phone call scenes, they hung the actor upside down so that he would just be a bit more deranged. Blood would start rushing to only his head. (laughs) <laughs> you never see the guy in the movie, so, and he's just being a hot I'm just picturing down. this guy upside down. You big cut. <laughs> you got you. You pig bitch. Yeah, no, it's it's gross. It's disgusting. And you kind of see, like, as the call goes on, all the girls start to get like less and like they they the clues start to get uncomfortable. And that's where Barb comes in, the hero. She just picks up the phone, and I think she just call. She just starts like just wailing on the guy. Like, She's firmly. feeding into it at first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kind of uh, telling him, uh, you couldn't get it if you tried. Exactly, yeah. And then he just keeps talking, and then she just fucking hangs up on <laughs> him. And one of the girls, and that's Claire. Yeah, 
Claire says, like, you know, she's nervous. She's like, I don't think you should have, like, egged him on. I don't think you should, like, talk to someone, like, you know, someone that deranged like that. She... Yeah. Claire even states how she feels uncomfortable and you shouldn't talk to him like that. Because recently, one of the girls down in the town got raped. And this is when Barb's problematic. Yeah... She yeah. says you can't rape a townie. Yeah, yeah. Barb's got issues. Barb's this... got Barb's got a lot of issues. I, I was talking to Andrew. During the entire movie, I don't think there was a scene where Barb wasn't drunk. Like, she was pretty much hammered the entire movie. Or her character was hammered the entire movie. You want to talk about hammered? Mrs. Mac. <laughs> oh, she... <laughs> Right, wait, wait, we gotta get we gotta get to her first because after that whole you know shabagal, um Claire gets upset and starts going upstairs to pack because winter vacation's about to start and she's gonna meet her dad at one o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, and apparently like a lot of girls are going. I think it's Jess who comes up after her and is like, "Hey, are you okay?" Barb didn't like mean it like that. Like you know, she wasn't trying to be like mean to you. And uh, Claire's like, no, no, I actually do have to pack. And so she gets up and she walks upstairs where she she finds Claude, the cat, just, you know, sitting on her bed. So she picks him up and she moves him over and she hears a noise. Uh, meowing. Yeah, meowing. And it's odd. And first, you know, she starts calling out a couple names, you know, just like, you know, is it this? Is it this? And then, and then she gets closer and closer. Like, is there anyone in there? Like, is there a different cat in there? And then she dies. Yeah. yeah. The killer pretty much puts, uh, if you go to dry cleaners, you get your clothes back in the exact type of bag he strangles her with. Yeah. So she goes out in a not so dignified way of being strangled by a bag, to put it simply. And, okay, Grace, this is not going to be something you like to hear, but when we see her body later... Did you also notice that her mouth had, like, an indent towards the inside of it? Kind of like a blow-up sex doll type of thing? Oh. And with how Billy the Killer was talking over the phone, I just... There felt like there was room to read more happening than just him killing the bodies. I don't... Moving on besides that, so while, uh... Poor Claire is killed. We kind of cut back down to party, which is ending. The guys, you know, who were visiting, you know, they're going back to their own, like, uh, sorority or what is it called? It's a frat house oh, for yeah. guys. Yeah, so they were going back to their own frat houses or their own houses. And then that's where we get introduced to Miss Mac. She gets stuck on the door, needs help to get in. Yeah, she's got gifts for everybody. Apparently, like, the girls got her, like, this dress. Ah, yeah, she seems like a great character. You know, she kind of, like, you know, walks upstairs, you know, once, like, you know, the party's kind of died down, she's putting away things, and she walks upstairs to, like, I assume where's our office? There's, like, a bunch of books. She pulls out a book, opens it up, and it's got alcohol hidden in it. And then, I think it's then that Jess kind of, like, walks up to her, visits her, like, talks to her, goes back down. I think then Miss Matt goes to the bathroom, and she pulls out like, she's looking, she's, like, you know, opening, like, the, the mirrors in the bathroom. And then she opens up, like, the lid, the, the, the toilet. Like, what is it, like, in the back where, like, um... It's the tank. The, the tank. Where she fishes out another bottle of alcohol. This woman she, has it stored everywhere. Everywhere in this fucking this, house. 
Mrs. Mack is Barb in 30 years. Exactly. And then we kind of cut back down to Jess, where she's calling Peter, her boyfriend. She's calling him, and he's like, hey... I, I'm not sure how, like, awake I am. I've been, like, playing and I've been practicing for, like, the last three days. I haven't had any sleep. I'm just getting to sleep, like, right now. And she's like, I want to talk to you tomorrow, um, like, in person. And he's like, you could just talk to me now. And she's like, no, no, I want to talk to you in person. This is important. So eventually they make, like, um, she's like, I'll visit you at your regular spot. And he's like, all right. And then he says, I love you. And she says, I know. In which... Star Wars, it's cheeky. In this... Oof. Yeah, yeah, this isn't... And also the tone is way... It's not like a cheeky send-off or like a ha-ha, we're play-fighting. It's a... I know. It's... It's It's a... I know you love me. Yeah, it's... It's not... It's... uh, Things aren't looking up for uh, Peter right now, that's for sure. I can't blame her with what type of guy he turns out being through the film, though. Yeah, Peter just ends up being a scumbag. But anyway, we... I think cut after that to Claire's dad. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think we get to the next day where he's waiting at the spot they agreed to meet. Yeah, it looks to be like in front of the school, actually. Like, almost in front of the university. You see a school bus. Dad gets pelted by a snowball. Get fucked. Get fucked. And (laughs) this guy comes over. He he seems he's probably the minder of the kids. And he, you know, he walks up and he's like, are you right? Like, you know, I was trying to mind them. And like the dad says like, yeah, mind them better. And like, he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, you, fuck you too, asshole. And tries to walk off and the dad like stops. (laughs) And then he's like, hey, I was trying to meet my daughter at like one o'clock. Her name is Claire Harrison. Do you know her? And he's like, I don't really know her. And then he's like, she's from the sorority. I, I wrote it down. Pi Kappa Sig? It's pro- probably Pi Kappa Sigma. Okay. But the dad didn't even finish the sentence before the guy's like, ah, yeah, I know exactly where that's at. <laughs> yeah, I've been there before. And so he, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, okay, I'll just, like, I know where it is. So he walks off. He goes back to the sorority. I think it's then that we get a jump cut to Barb and her friends where they're having, like, a nonprofit children's event. (laughs) Yeah. And the Santa, the guy, the the college that they got dressed up as Santa, is cussing out Barb because Barb (laughs) has invited his girlfriend to, like, the ski resort, right? And he's, like, saying, fuck you, Barb. And there's, like, a five-year-old on his lap. And, and, uh, and he's like, god damn it, you bitch. While, like, the, the kids are like, what the heck? And Barb's even like, he's a naughty Santa, isn't he? <laughs> and the girl just nods, yes. This is a naughty Santa. What the fuck? Yeah, it's like, Jesus, what the fuck? And then it's, like, then that we cut to the dad again, where he comes and he visits, like, the sorority, and he's trying to talk to Miss Mac, and he's, like, he's wandering, and this is, like, you know, it's, like, a sorority. Uh, Not many other people besides college students visit it. There's a few inappropriate pictures, but... Well, like, you got, like, a picture of a grandma flipping off the cameraman yeah. for a series of pictures you got like a peace sign made of two people looking like they're doing it yeah and mrs mac is just trying to censor the peace sign yeah. as much as she can yeah and the dad's just like ask her asking like basic information like hey have you seen my daughter and she's like no she was packing though last night she didn't meet you and he's like no and she's like well she's probably at the nonprofit event and he, the dad's like well i'm not sure about the like propriety of this place i didn't send my girl here to be drinking and talking with boys and yeah. like you can 
can see Miss Mac is just fucking through it. She's like, fuck. As soon as he's out of the room, she's like, I can't control these broads. They'd hump the Leaning Tower Pisa if they had the chance. Yeah. Uh, so fun had all around. And then uh, she starts to hear Claude, her cat. I think she called Claudikins, I think she calls him. And I think that's where we get a, a little jump to the attic where Claire is being stored in a rocking chair. Yeah, she's clearly dead. It's unpleasant. Yeah, so we, we get that little cut to the attic where we clearly see Claire's body in a rocking chair. It's, it's disgusting. And then we cut to Miss Matt. She's kind of just like watering around like the upstairs cl calling for Claude. She actually drops her shit and she's just like, oh, Claude, you prick. And that's where <laughs> like Mr. Harrison, Claire's dad, pops his head up and stares her in the eye. And then he just looks at her like sh shakes his head, wanders down. And then she flips him off when he like, you know, when he turns around. Well, like, I uh, find it also like entirely so funny because Mrs. Mac after she like calls Claude a little bastard which owning a cat I can relate yeah, to yeah no they're bastards she looks over and she's like I'm very grateful for you giving me a ride or something along oh, the lines yeah. of that oh god and then it's as they're leaving again we kind of get a cut to a window where we see Miss Mac and Mr. Harrison leaving in the car and again, we get that scene where it's like Claire in the rocking chair and the rocking chair being rocked by, uh, we'll just call him Billy. We're calling him Billy, right? Yeah, the killer, the killer is credited as Billy slash Agnes. Yeah. Billy's just way easier to say. Yeah, so we we uh, see like the killer, like Billy, whatever he is, is, is just rocking the chair as he watches them leave. And then it's then that they cut to the party. And, oh, God. So we see Mr. Harrison sitting down, talking with Barb, like, hey, when did you last see her? And they're like, well, we saw her, like, last night. She was packing and getting ready to leave. And we see Barb just nursing this bottle of alcohol. And then she puts, like, pours some into a cup and she's sipping it. And this little boy comes in and she feeds some of the alcohol <laughs> to the little boy while, like, Mr. Harrison is on the phone with his wife. Like, yeah, we have, still haven't seen Barb. We're going to go to the police next. We, we were talking with, like, her friends. I think they even lock eyes while she's, like, making this seven-year-old like, drink some scotch. Yeah, and it's just like, Jesus Christ, Barb. Oh, my God. But it's after that that they cut to the police precinct where it's, I think it's Barb, Jess, Phyllis, or Phil and um, Mr. Harrison. They're all at the police station and they're all like, hey, we haven't seen Claire all night. We haven't seen her this morning. She was supposed to meet up. She wasn't like this. And fucking, God, what is it? What's his fucking name? What is it? Because I know what I call him, but I... Nash. Nash. Fucking Nash. So you have Nash right there. And they're trying to tell him, like, hey, there's this girl. She's been missing for several hours. She hasn't been meeting where she was supposed to. And fucking Nash goes, well, you know those girls. She's probably just, like, at a party. She'll pop up with whatever boy toy she has. And he clearly does not give a shit, nor believe them at all. And you can clearly see, like, you know, Claire's friends and the dad getting kind of just, like, upset with with this they're like no claire wouldn't do this and he's like man well you know of course you would say that and ah god so fuck you nash and i feel like in this movie you get both types of horror cops yeah because there's the competent ones in this movie 
And then there's Nash. And then there's Nash. And fucking, so while the other, you know, members of the group are leaving, <laughs> the fucking, Nash asks Barb, specifically Barb, he's like, hey, can I have the phone number for the sorority? And she goes, yeah, fellatio 0800. I think she's giving him the address, actually, because she says it's a new installment for the driveways. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, yeah, it's the new FE or something. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it was was the phone number though because they are they had the accurate accurate address down. It's the phone number that they had to ask for again. And this is way back in the fucking day where like you still had like an operator on the other line. So I think it was like you could put words and then something eight hundred or you know whatever numbers. So she tells him fellatio and fucking this fucker writes it down. He even asks how do you spell that and she goes capital F. Lowercase e, two little l's, and I'm like, Jesus, Barb, give this man a break. Um, well, that's all. He going- doesn't deserve a break. Let's go, Barb. That's true. That's true. Let's go, Barb. After that, when I can't remember who, I think it was, I think it was Jess again though, who did, decides to go find Chris because Chris is Claire's boyfriend. So she goes to him and she, he's like, you know, he's at like hockey practice and she bangs on the wall and, you know, he stops and he's like, hey, what's up? And she's like, I haven't seen Claire. Have you seen Claire? And he's like, no, I haven't. And then she's like, well, the police like aren't paying attention. They don't even care. Like they haven't been taking any of this seriously. So he's like, well, I'll fi- fucking fix that. So, you know, they, they all head down to the precinct and he marches in. Pretty honestly, there's a lot of like righteous fury in his expression and Apparently he knows like the main, like the lead detective or yeah. like the head detective of the police precinct because he marches in and um, Nash is like you know just like what do you need what are you doing here and like oh God what I think it, what what was it where like they try and confront him and he insults him and fucking Nash goes like well are you sure you're the only man in her life or something like that sounds <laughs> stupid anyway they but the detective the the actual detective comes in and he actually starts to get like you know work done work done and that's god i'm pretty sure that's where we click back to the sorority house where we have miss mac who's trying to pack and then we i think it's also jess i think it's jess again where um they're back at the sorority and jess gets a call right on the phone and it's that creepy dude it's Billy again. Yes. It's it's a creepy call from Billy. It's uh, and that's where we get to see like that's like the first call where it's like Billy is talking about Agnes and like the baby and all that stuff. And uh, Jess goes upstairs. She tells Mix Mac, and then she tells her that she has like an appointment to do. The appointment is meeting up with um. Peter. Peter. Jump cut to um fucking Peter where he's like he's in this like kind of like a little auditorium kind of situation. It's like a large room. I also think before this they oh. were on the phone together, and she said like I would like to talk to you in person, and he goes I don't have time to play your games. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that was like that was the last night because they had like a conversation over the phone, and I think she actually met up with him that morning. Like, but anyway, so. But Jess goes to meet and talk with Peter. She's kind of like the way that Cena said is that he's like playing something on the keyboard and she's leaning up against it. And she's telling him that she's pregnant, but that she wants like an abortion. She doesn't feel like she's ready to have a kid. And he gets, oh God, he gets weird about it. 
God, what does he say? He's like, well, how could you do this without my decision? And she's like, well, it's like mainly my decision. It's my body. And he's like, well, what if I don't want you to? What if I want the kid? And she's like, well, it's still like my choice. And then he gets weird about it. He calls her like a baby murderer or something like that. It gets, it gets odd. And and then, oh, and then he brings it back to us like, you know what kind of day this is. You know how important this day is to me. How could you bring it up on a day like this? And she's like, look, we'll talk later. Like, I am an avid supporter mm -hmm. of women's right to choose if they want to have or not have a baby. Yeah. So like, let, let's give a round of applause to Jess because yeah, she's, she's standing up for herself. Yeah, she's not rolling over. She's like, no, 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 this is an important decision for me, and this is the decision I'm making. But she does... Pancake. The little podcast terror strikes again. Yeah. Why is she always playful when we're recording? Who knows? But yeah, no, good for Jess. She's standing up for herself. She's like, no, this isn't like what I'm deciding. But she does give him the out where she's like, hey, if you want to talk more about this, we'll talk later tonight and so they kind of go their separate ways and then we get a real weird scene where fucking peter one second i have to stop the podcast terror from being exactly who she is i swear i stopped her because she was like hitting your shoes yeah the water jugs over there yeah. while i was in the kitchen anyway and then we get a weird fucking cutscene where oh okay so apparently Peter is, like, he's there to be, like, a classical, like, pianist. He's there to be, like, a um, concert pianist. And that this is, like, his final or something like that. And he, it, it, it does not sound pleasant to me. I'm sure he practiced really hard or whatever. But it sounds god, god I've, awful. I've heard cats walking across the piano play a better tune than that. Yeah, no, it's absolute dog shit. I don't know why he spent the last three days working on this. Anyway, we kind of cut back to, oh dear, um, poor Miss Mac, poor Miss Mac, because um, while everybody has left, like the sorority is out, right? The girls are either, you know, doing stuff, doing other things. I think some of them are leaving to help start to join a search party that's forming. Yeah, I remember, um, the way I remember it is that you have some of the people... It's at the police precinct when Chris marched in, right, to, like, start talking with the detective about the missing girl. That another woman came in. She had a daughter named Janice, I believe, and that she hadn't seen her high school, like, you know, her high school daughter back. Like, that she had, it was supposed to, they were supposed to get off early because it's Christmas break and she was supposed to come back. And that she hadn't seen him and that she wanted a search party. So while that is all is going on, right? Like, Peter's having his weird fucker of a final concerto and, like, everybody else is, like, out of the house. That we get Miss Mac is alone in the sorority and she hears Claude again. And she hears him up in the attic. So she's kind of walking around and you hear, you see the taxi, like, outside honking for her, right? And she's like... Give me a minute! You can wait, you fucker! So she's wandering around, and she sees, though, that the attic is open. And so she, you know, Claude is up there, so she starts to climb the attic, right? You know, trying to climb up there. And then we cut back, and we see the, the killer hidden in shadows, but we see him, and he has, like, this... Pulley hook. Pulley hook ready? Like, to move things up and down from the attic and, uh, you know, and stuff like that. This is an attic by access of ladder and not staircase. Yeah. So the pulley is probably used to, say, take the, the rocking horse up and down, if needed. But anyway, yeah, so we just see him in the background, 
And then we see her kind of struggling to get up the staircase, or not the staircase, but the, the ladder. And then she turns around, she screams, and that's where he um, hooks her. Yeah, hook, line, and sinker, Mrs. Mac is dead. Yep. No relation. No relation. I think it's then that we get a cut back to Peter, where he's smashing the shit out of a school-owned grand piano. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Those shits are expensive. Expensive, my dude. He, Fucking expensive. He was showing classic male entitlement. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do well? Guess what? Fuck you. Yeah, no. So he fucking just breaks the piano. And it's then that we get late enough in the night where it's like, you can see, it's like dark out and stuff like that. You know, um, it's winter though. So we're not like sure how actually late it is. It's probably four o'clock. Yeah, yeah, probably. But that's where we get to cut to. It's uh, Mr. Harris, all of Claire's friends. We got like Barb, Jess, Phil. We got Chris there as well, who's, you know, Claire's significant other. And then we see the the, the police detective. And he's up like on his police car and he's, there's a search apparently out for Janice. And there's also a search out for Claire. And so they're, you know, kind of going on this group search pattern. You know, and they're all kind of, like, going around and, you know, trying to, like, find someone. You know, this kind of goes on. And then I believe it's it's Jess. Jess is like, I'm tired, you know, like, this is really cold. I, I think I'll head back to, like, the house, the sorority. So she heads back. And so that leaves, like, the rest of her friends and Chris kind of all out there. And that's when someone finds poor Janice, the high schooler dead we never see her body we never know how she dies she's just an unknown death it you can speculate that billy maybe killed her Mm -hmm. you can speculate that maybe there is maybe a different murderer out Mm -hmm. and about i find that very unlikely however yeah there's a lot of theories that you can make with this movie but uh, anyway after they find the little girl's body I guess not little girl, because she's in high school. No, she was 13? Well, they called her a high schooler, though. Got to check how old. Yeah. We'll we'll end that argument later. (laughs) Regardless of the fact, Jess goes back to the house where, while she's, like, putting away things, she gets, like, another call on the line. It's the killer again. It's, he's doing his weird thing with, with weird, weird talk, with, like, the baby talk. It's, it's odd, right? It's like a mixture of baby talking, pig squealing, and, like, strangulation, which, again, goes to probably that actor being upside down for his lines. Yeah, no, but eventually, like, he hangs up, and she's like, okay, this has to stop. So she tries to call the police station again to get, you know, to, like, have this stopped. Like, she's like, no, I can't take these calls anymore. They're just gonna have to be blocked. And while she's on hold at the police station, um... Guess who fucking pops up right behind her? Weird, creepy P- Peter. Apparently, after trashing the piano, he wandered back to this house and broke got, in. Yeah, yeah, he broke in, like slept in her bed, and he was like, "Yeah, I guess now would be a great time to uh, like talk." I guess I don't know. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking, but he like pops up behind her, and she's like, "Jesus Christ, Peter." And he's like, yeah, well, I want to have that, like, you know, conversation now. And she's like, okay. And by conversation, he really means I want to have my way. Yeah. No, because she's on the line with the police station. And apparently they're, like, really busy. And she finds out that, like, the little girl has died. And so she, like, 
you know, she leaves like her information and that she'd eventually be called back. And she goes and has this horrible talk with Peter and where it's not really a talk. It's he tells her that um, he's going to one move out of the uh, frat that he's in. That's understandable. No, like you telling your significant other that you're moving, that's like an important decision to make, right? Blah, blah, blah. But then he tells her, oh, by the way, we're getting married. And it's like, you can't tell someone that you're getting married. That's like a mutual decision there that has to happen. Like, okay, I, I was, I'm not the most like outwardly romantic person, but even I looked at my wife when, you know, it was time to get engaged and I was like, you want to get a ring? That's a very romantic for me way to propose. Yeah. But like, but still, no, he like orders her. And then honestly, Jess was pretty like empathetic with the whole situation because he's like going on about how like it should be his choice whether to keep the baby or not. It's not. But she goes, hey, so you know, like how when we first met, um, you really wanted to be like a concert pianist, right? That Like that's your goal in life and that's what you're striving for, right? And he's like, yes. And she's like, well... I also talked about all the things I wanted to do, right? Well, if I have a baby, I won't be able to do those things. He's like, no, no, you'll still be able to do these things when we get married. And she's like, that's not, that's not the point. Like, that's not what I'm talking about here. It's like a huge life change. And he's like, nah, you'll be fine. Isn't this better for you? And then she says the golden line. Yeah. I don't want to be married to you. Yeah, which honestly, she's... Yeah, I wouldn't either. He was He's a fucking asshole. Good bullet to dodge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bunch of red flags in that relationship already. But after this whole kind of conversation is being had, he's kind of like storming off. And that's when we... Oh, God, I can't remember if there's... um There's actually a cut right between that argument that they had and the line. Because remember when um Jess was on the phone talking with the police person? Guess who's on the other line of that phone? Nash. Fucking Nash. Nash is on the other line They because they, they cut to him talking with her about how busy they are and how they won't be able to do anything. And that's when the detective and a lot of the volunteers and the friends walk in, right? So they're walking to the police precinct and the detective hears this and he walks over and he's like... I don't even think it was the detective. I think it was the father that heard the oh, you're right. surgeon yeah. repeat the address and that brought him and the sorority girls just to heavily eavesdrop on this conversation. Yeah. No. And then they were like, oh shit, like we have been getting these really creepy calls does this have anything to do with Claire going missing? And they're like, shit, there might be. So, uh, like, while all this is, like, um, going on, then I think that's when they involve, like, the detective. And they're like, yeah, you know, we might want to try and put up, like, a phone tap. Like, this is all very important. <laughs> so, like, the detective heads over to his desk, right? And he asks Nash to hand him, like, the phone and contact information so that he could theoretically set up a tap for the, the phone. second detective in the background yeah is already just losing his shit with laughter yeah no just losing it and then fuck it and then then, then the lead detective is like reading it he starts laughing too and then he gets up and he walks over and says, hey nash and then like nash walks over and he's like fellatio is that is that the is that the place we're gonna try and call and he's like yep that's it and Oh, God. And they're both just fucking dying in the background. And then Nash, like, sees both of these detectives laughing. And he's like, oh, it's something. It's something dirty, isn't it? And they're both fucking just dying on the ground. John Saxon, who plays the lead detective, yeah. he says to Nash, um, 
you wouldn't be able to pick your nose without instructions. Yeah, which honestly, pretty accurate. But after all that information is had, they all decide to head back to the house, right? Or not the house, sorry, the sorority. So the, the like, detectives come in, like, they're all, like, you know, talking to everyone about how, like, oh, like, you know, like, uh, the, how the, the caller might be involved with these murders and these disappearances. Um, we need your permission to, like, run a tap onto your phone. And then he points outside the house where there's a police vehicle. And he's like, hey, so there's the, where that's where the police vehicle's gonna be. Um, if you ever need help, if you need anything, just run right out there. He's gonna be, like, watching the house. Don't worry about it. And then they kind of, like, leave. And when John Saxon does arrive at the sorority... That's when Peter's leaving pissed off. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, when when uh, they march in, Peter shoves them aside so he can get out of the house. And uh, the detective does ask, like, who that was. And it's like, yeah, it's Peter. He's just angry. Just don't worry about it. Oh, also, I completely forgot a moment of the story. I forgot the dinner. Or not the <laughs> dinner. I'm sorry. I forgot the lunch. So in between this, like, right before the, the search party is held... And before uh, Miss Mac is killed, there's this little dinner that they have. It's Phil, Mr. Harris, Miss Mac, and Barb. They have like a small lunch together. It's just the four of them, no one else. And it, it and it's just Miss Mac just like, you know, feeding a few of her sorority girls and the guy who's there who's trying to like... I think it's it's in between like the police actually realizing that there might be a problem kind of situation. It's, I think, while... Jess is going to get Chris or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. This is also like later in the scene when Chris meets Mr. Harrison. Yeah. So it's all a meal. Um, Barb is fucking trashed as all hell. And she starts talking about how turtles can like... Fuck for, for three days. Yeah. And about how she watched them. Then she got bored. And then so she walked over to the zebras and they lasted 30 seconds. And Mr. Harris is like, Jesus fucking Christ. And then Barb, like, okay, Barb might have a lot of issues. And she does. Um, so she kind of brings up the fact that she's like, you know what? You guys all blame me for this. You blame me for like pushing her away. And I'm like, okay, Barb, I know you feel guilty. Just we'll, we'll calm down, right? We'll chill out. And so Barb goes upstairs to sleep off what must be the worst hangover ever. It's not even a hangover. It's not, it's like avoiding a hangover by just continuing to drink. Not a good method. But anyway. Or the best method. We don't know. Yeah, that's true. Cutting back to uh, current events in the movie where the police have like left the sorority to go continue the search. And so you you just have, supposedly, you just have in the house, Jess, Phil, and Barb, right? Well, um, while this is all going on, Phil kind of starts to break down a little bit. She's like, this is fucking terrifying. I'm I'm not really feeling it. So she goes up to nap as well. Well, she even says, I just know Claire's dead. Oh, yeah. Well, she's right. Her instincts are right. So she goes upstairs to take like a power nap to just sleep off some stress and it's Jess there. So because one of them has to stay awake to listen to the phone, right? Because they think that the um, caller is also the killer, right? So she... Is this uh, before or after the search party like knock on the back door and scare the <gasps> oh, shit out of Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. So while Phil and uh, Jess are kind of like cleaning up and, you know, kind of getting ready for the long night of staying awake for this caller... Yeah, a couple of fucking search party members fucking uh, almost give them a heart attack because they're just walking around with fucking guns. <laughs> Jesus. And, like, these are, like, 
the two most bozo-esque search party guys you could ask for. Yeah. And no. they're brandishing guns outwardly. Yeah, no. Fuck. Like, I think at one point in time, once they finally get them to leave, Phil says that she would rather deal with the killer than them. Uh, understandable. But anyway, so... Uh, Phil goes upstairs to power nap. Barb's already up there power napping. And Jess is downstairs. They get... I Jess gets another really, really weird call where I think it's, it's then over the phone that the caller repeats something that Peter said to her. I can't like remember. a wart. Removed like a wart. Yeah. And she's talking about, like, you know, the baby and having an abortion. And so she kind of, like, freaks out a little bit. And police who are on the line for the phone are like, wow, you seem really startled there. You seem, like, reactive. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. And while she's getting up to go somewhere, that's when Barb has a... God, what is it when you can't breathe? She had an asthma attack. Thank you! Barb has an asthma attack. Are you calling me out because I'm asthmatic? No! I just know you know it. You just know that what it... You just... you, You know what I meant. Thank you. Anyway, so Barb has an asthma attack. So Jess goes upstairs to, like, calm her down, like, you know, talk to her. And Barb says that she saw the killer in her room and that that, she had a nightmare and that that's why she had an asthma attack. Um, Little did Barb know it was not a dream. Yeah, no, because while Phil wakes up and both Phil and Jess go downstairs to wait for another call, (laughs) the killer walks into Barb's room and takes one of her... Her glass sculptures, which is specifically a unicorn, very specifically a unicorn, and stabs her to death with it. Like, I don't think death by unicorn is something I ever thought would happen in a horror film, but apparently it happened. Grace, you have seen Cabin in the Woods, though. You watched a unicorn gore someone once before. Have I? I don't remember Cabin in the Woods, to be brutally honest. I can't I don't remember it. Oh, man, I can't wait till we get to that. Uh, It's this year, and it's really funny. Uh, wait, this year? Up uh, next year. Thank Shut up. You. We're so close We're to right the- at the end of 2022 while recording this, yeah. and this will be published in 2022. I think this is the last one that will be published in 2022. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, next year, my dude. But anyway, um, that's when, like, oh, what is her name? Oh, God, Jess. That's when Jess starts talking to Phil about, do you think it's him? Do you think he was, like, the killer? Blah, blah, blah. And then that's where they get another of those really like really like weird like funky calls right like weird another weird funky call and you have also the guy who's trying to trace the fucking call is back at like the like i'm not sure like the telephone center yeah he's like sprinting through the directory yeah it's it's he's he's getting he's he's doing all his leg work today he's he's really working it and every time either it be the shitty boyfriend or the killer. This guy is sprinting. He's like, they're not keeping them on the phone long enough, goddammit. Yeah, he needs time to run. But anyway, so after this, I'm not sure what, what call it has been. After the call ends, the detective is like, hey, by the way, like, have you, like, have you talked to Peter? Could be Peter be the killer? And she's like, no, no, no. Peter was in the um, house with me when one of the calls was made, so it couldn't be him. And she's, like, so relieved. She's talking to Hilda. She's like, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. Blah, blah, blah. And then Phil goes upstairs, right? Um, goes back to bed, I think. Yeah, goes back to bed. And then that's when Jess gets 
The last call he'll show probably hear from the killer because, you know, he calls again. And again, he's acting erratic. He's getting crazy talk. And uh, she manages to keep him on the line long enough that... Oh, before that, though, you know, during the glass unicorn scene... Yeah. The only reason our main protagonist doesn't hear the murder is because she's responding to a child's choir at the door. Oh, I forgot that! So you get this uh, very picturesque kill to children singing a I think, carol. No, I think that happened is that, that Barb was killed during a call, I'm pretty sure. Not during a call, but like, I'm pretty sure, I think it's Phil who was killed during the choir scene, wasn't she? I think Barb was during a call. No, no. Uh, Barb was during the caroling and Phil was during the call. Uh, wait, wait. The wait, wait. final call where they finally pinned down where the killer is oh, is when Phil dies. Okay, okay. So, so Barb is killed during like this weird caroling scenario, and then it's after that that Phil goes upstairs, killed by the killer, and then there's a, that final call where she has she lasts on the line long enough that uh, the cops manage to track it to that the killer's inside the house, right? So the, the, the cop managed to reach it. He calls the detective and he's like, hey, it turns out that the calls are coming from the house. They're coming from the same location. And he goes, no, they're going to the house. And the conductor of the phone lines is like, no, they're from the house too. Yeah. And then the main detective is like, shit. So he tries to ring up. I can't remember the name of- Nash. No, 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 no. He rings up first. He rings up Jenny's. Or Jennings, I think is his name. He's the police officer who's posted outside their house. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we find his body with a slit throat. Yeah, no, he's just dead. He's slit throat. He's dead. And that's when the detective's like, oh, shit. Okay. So Jennings is probably dead. So he calls the precinct and he calls. And who picks up but fucking... Felatio Nash out of the <laughs> gate. And and the detective is like, Nash, okay, so you need to call the house and you need to talk to Jess. You need to get her to leave the house immediately. Do not let her know. Don't let her know that um that the killer's in the house. Don't let her know that there's a killer in the house. Just get her to leave the house immediately, right? Yeah. And he's like, Nash, don't fuck this up or I will kill you. I'll be there in five minutes. So he hangs up, right? And Nash calls the house. Jess answers. Um, and uh, God damn it, Nash. You had one job. He tries his darn hardest to not spill well, the beans. He goes, okay, so like Jess picks up the phone. She's like, hi. And it's like, oh, this is Nash, the police officer. And she's like, yep, I've met you, you asshole. And then it goes where Nash is like, okay, you can't ask any questions. And she's like, why not? And he's like, you just can't ask any questions, but get out of the house now. And Jess is like, why? And he's like, you can't ask any questions. He's like, okay, well, can I grab Barb and Phil? And he's like, you can't get out of the house. Just get out of the house. Just leave. Just forget them and leave. And she's like, no, I want to, I'll go get my friends. It's like, no. Okay, there's a killer in the house. So leave because they're probably already dead. And she goes like, what? So she just drops the line. Um, so yeah, Nash failed at his one job. And Jess does a smart thing though. She does, she goes and she grabs a fire poker. She gets armed, she, she gets, gets ready, and she goes upstairs. Because she's not leaving her friends. Honestly, 
maybe a stupid move, but like a loyal move. You know, she's what I a mean? ride or die bitch. She's a ride or die bitch, and we can we can stand with that. So she goes upstairs. She opens. Oh God! One thing I love about Barb, I know she's dead, but she's fantastic. Is that her wreath? Like all the girls had their own wreath on their door. Hers had bought like little like you know when you get onto a plane and they offer you those little like vodka little tiny bottles. She has those as her wreath. Yeah, I, I know at least a few people in my life where I could see that being their Christmas wreath. Yeah, anyway, we gotta love Barb. But, so, she opens Barb, Bob's, uh, not Bob, Barb's door, and she sees them both dead. Oof. And then that's where we get the only actual visual of the killer that we do. All we get is one brown eye. That I, is... That's I thought it was red. Oh, is it? think they superimposed the color red over whatever color his actual eyes were so it could have came out more of a brown yeah who knows but we get our one actual look at the killer he's talking crazy talk he's talking about agnes and billy and the children and so just as understandable when she freaks out she freaks out she runs downstairs and tries to go for the front door but the thing is is that that front door is broken we uh, witnessed this when Miss Mark was trying to um, enter the Mac. sorority. Oh, sorry. Miss Mac was trying to enter the sorority and she couldn't because the door is faulty. So she forgets that option and she decides to run to the basement. So she runs in. She locks the basement door. We hear the killer pounding on the other side. And so she runs downstairs, right? She runs downstairs. Like, and this killer was hot on her heels. He even, like, had a fistful of her hair at one moment. Oh, yeah, no, he was he was pretty fucking close. And so she makes it down to the basement, and she's trying to catch her breath. She's trying to chill out. And that's when we see a shape moving around the side of the building. And eventually, it gets closer to the windows, where it rubs off the frost, and we see Peter, right? Um, he breaks the glass, gets in, and he's like, Jess, are you okay? Why are you freaking out? It's very much like, Stew and scream. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, or not stew. Billy, Billy and scream. Billy, Billy and scream. Where he's he's looking odd. He's got like a smile on his face. He's trying. He keeps you know approaching or getting closer and closer. And then that's when we cut to outside of the sorority when the police arrive. We hear her scream, and then we see the police marching into the house, breaking down the basement door, running down there, and then just seeing. Peter, dead and bloody, passed out on on top of Jess. And then we eventually see Jess kind of open blearily and close her eyes again as she passes out again. And then we cut to another scene where it's Jess. She's in back in her bedroom at the sorority and there are police officers moving around her and a doctor. The doctor's like, I don't think Jess will wake up until like later on in the day. Pancake, goddammit. Baby, why you gotta do this? You don't get to be cute and run away. Come here. You got like five ah. minutes left, Pancake. You can last. You can last. Yeah, poor baby. Poor baby. Anyway, so like the, the doctor's talking to the detective and the other police officers. He's like, I don't think Jess will be waking up anytime soon. I don't even think she'll be really ready to talk, be in like uh, interviewed until like tomorrow at noon. And so they're all talking, and then that's when Mr. Harrison is kind of escorted into the room because he's he's down and out. He's like he's fully come to terms with the fact that his 
daughter's most likely dead because like their bodies have already been moved and so he like passes out in a chair and the doctor's like shit he needs to be moved to a hospital and then fucking nash comes in like the hospital's too full for where do we move the corpses and the detective's like shit okay we got to move these into another start the autopsies yeah and so they're all kind of moved and then you see the police officers kind of like abandon like leave the sorority or a good portion of us leave the sorority and finally it's just Jess left alone in the room. Yeah, and it kind of yeah. the uh it kind of the camera kind of pans out and wanders and looks through the other bedrooms of you know and gets the one with, that used to be Barb's that is just now a mattress, a bloody mattress. And then I'm pretty sure it pans up to where we have the rocking chair, I guess. Yes. Yeah, the rocking chair with Claire in it, and then we see behind it Miss um, Mac, and then we see the killer kind of just rocking the chair back and forth, and then we pan out so that we can just see the sorority as its whole, and we see a police officer just standing up front on the stairs, right? And that's when we hear phones start to ring. And that's pretty much where the movie leaves off. Well, that's all yeah. we get is that, that phone. So the phone starts ringing, and it's heavily implied that the killer is still in the house. Peter oh, was not the yeah. killer. Yeah, like, maybe, oh, God, like, because maybe Peter killed maybe, like, the high score, or that could be just a completely I don't, unrelated I think murder. he was just a red herring. I don't think he killed anyone. I think he was just an emotional temper tantrum baby man. I mean, he was definitely that. Yeah, but definitely the person who killed Barb, Phil, Miss Mac, Mac and just, Claire. Just think of her as my aunt. Okay, Miss Mac. Um, they were all definitely killed by the caller, who is still in the house, who has not been caught yet. And poor Jess is in there, too. Oh, God. Yeah, she's left alone, and the killer is still in the house with her. Yes, there's a cop watching, but they're not in the house. They're not in the house. They're waiting out front. So, there's a good possibility that Jess does die as well. Yeah. I mean, or not, it's really left so open-ended. Like, we never really figure out the killer's identity. We never figure out why the killer did the thing that he did. We never figure out why he was, like, almost obsessed with this weird nursery rhyme. Why he kept talking in all these different voices. A lot of it is less unexplained. We have no... I don't even know if the um, killer is related to the high schooler that died. Yeah, Um, I kind of like the lack of information we yeah. get i know you're not as big I'm of a fan of that, fan that yeah. but it, it just leaves you with so many questions and strings that keep you thinking about the movie and i like that yeah the soundtrack and sound design it's pretty minimal but yeah. i think it's effective I, I don't really recall anything jumping out to me about the soundtrack anytime the killer called there was this dark piano noise. Oh, I forgot. Which I thought was a hint to Peter being the killer. But since Peter clearly didn't kill Claire or Miss Mac, I mean, because, you know, clearly Claire's still in, like, the attic. So it's all, yeah. A little too open-ended for my taste, but I can understand why someone would like that in a movie. And this film also has some pretty minimal gore in it. Yeah. 
um, because we start with the strangulation. Yeah. We get a pulley and hook, which we don't even really see any penetration. No. But we do get to see the aftermath of it. Yeah, we see Miss Mac um, hanging up in the background at the final scene. Which, parts of that is a little bit of dark humor to yeah. me. It looks funny. We have the completely off-screen unknown kill of the 13-year-old girl. We have the glass statue unicorn murder of Barb. Yeah. We have an unknown kill for Phil, which most likely it was strangulation. And I might even think he could have been strangling her with the phone cord during that call. But I like to see my weapons. Same. There was a throat slit mm-hmm. by with the cop in the car. Yep. And finally the fire poker, because I'm assuming that Jess beat Peter to death with that fire poker. Because yeah. she did not drop that thing until she passed out. Yeah, no. Which is how you survive a horror movie. That is how you sur- survive a horror movie. Honestly, good for... Honestly, I'm not that too torn up about Peter's death. I think... I think... Uh, honestly, if Jess does survive that, like, night, because they are... We're planning on moving Jess to her family's house. If she does survive that night with the killer, I think she'll get over it. She'll go get that abortion and live her best life. Yeah, you go. You go, Jess. You, you live your best life. Uh, with that, the current most common way to die... Still being burned alive at 67. Yeah, Jesus, Gary. Just fucking burned everybody. Sadly, with this movie, our honorable second mention is off-screen unknown death. Come on, guys. You gotta... You gotta show... But to be fair, a lot of the movies we have been watching have been older films. Yeah. Which means that a lot of, like, the gore had to be off-screen. They have to pull their punches, which unfortunately leads to... Four people being a block that is no longer like I, I like seeing like yeah we got a lot of people's throats lit. Uh, I might be blood hungry. I don't know. I mean, I I just like uh, getting to like understand how people died, why they died. You know, it's like you know because it's like a horror film, right? Like you want to understand why or how they died and how that might you know uh, like uh you know be like traced back to the killer. Or, like, well, maybe the killer just has a very specific method on why they die, you know? It's just... Why off screen? And our personal favorite methods of death have not changed. No. I still like axes to faces. And I still apparently like garage doors. Ah, <laughs> uh, makes me smile every time. Uh, well, just, you know, the little spiral butt going all the way just up. Just all the way up. And just, like, the killer kind of being like, I didn't think this would work. <laughs> I am entertained. (laughs) I'm so entertained. We're all very entertained. But next time, we will be covering The Exorcist. Woo! Didn't that almost win, like, an Academy Award or something like that? Maybe that's something we should look into to talk about during that episode. Heck yeah! Until next time, this is Bodies by the Numbers, a horror podcast. I'm Andermack. And I'm Grace Lee. Bye! Thank you for listening to Bodies by the Numbers, a horror podcast.
You can also find us on Instagram at Bodies by the Numbers Pod, Twitter at Bodies Numbers, and our email address is Bodies by the Numbers Pod at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next time.